Welcome to Between the Before and After, a podcast about the stories that shape us. I'm your host, Coach John McLernan, and each episode I bring you an inspiring guest with a moving story that shines a light on the power of the human spirit. Before we dive in, I want to let you know about two very important things. Number one, the stories shared here are often gritty, raw, and vulnerable, and very likely will include speaking about sensitive topics suited for a mature audience. Number two, this podcast is also broadcast live on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. So on whatever platform you follow myself or Freedom Nutrition Coaching, you have the opportunity to participate in this discussion during the live stream. And we encourage your participation both by commenting and asking questions. And so this podcast is about exploring the stories that take place between the before and after photos, not just in the realm of weight loss, but in all areas of life. So let's dive in. All right. It is my pleasure this evening to welcome Hollywood Capone to the show. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, John. Good to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So uh, first question, is Capone your last name or is that also a nickname? It, you know what? It's a composite. Like, okay. Nickname that I, I got some years ago and Capone is actually my wife's maiden name and I, I thought the two of them sounded great together and, and that's really how I've been living <laughs> for a while now. That that's awesome because I'm sure there are some people that are like, is that really your name? <laughs> so, but and of course Capone, uh, the name Capone has some degree of notoriety to it because of a certain gentleman back in what was it, about the 1930s, 40s, Chicago sort of thing. Yeah, that the fellow that didn't pay his taxes, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's funny that name in Italy is a lot like um, like Smith would be or Johnson or. You know, in America, we have these names that are just names, and in Italy, I mean, there's this connotation here about it, but in Italy, it's a, it's a name. It's it's just a common a common name. So, uh, and and do you have some Italian heritage as well? Yeah, I married into an Italian family. And, okay, and you know, I'm I'm thankful that I did. They're the greatest people that I've ever met in my whole life, and um, <laughs> thankfully, they they gave me something wonderful that I I couldn't buy with all the money in the world. So, God bless it. Yeah, that's that's absolutely fantastic. And so, uh, you know, before being known as as Hollywood, so we're, we're going to rewind the clock here. But uh, before being known as as Hollywood, uh, I think there's only one person that calls you by your actual name um, or has in the past. And uh, we did we did chat about this before hitting recording. Uh, your real name is is William, but only your mother has permission to call you that. Is that right? Well, some people will call me some variation of it, but uh, but mom owns the uh, owns the title on that. She's yeah, yeah. <laughs> the one that, uh, she, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, do her thing. And, uh, we love mom for that, you know. Absolutely. So, uh, before we dive into kind of your story, let's just let people know where you're at and kind of what you're doing now. Cause you are, you're like a true artist and, and creative. And I think maybe we could say you got your finger in a lot of pies. Uh, you know, <laughs> what is it that you're up to, to these days? Yeah, I'm all over the place, and, and here's and, and that's a challenge in and of itself. Because my wife laughs at me because I'm I'm the type of person I, I have a great deal of difficulty sitting still and doing nothing. Um, you know, but with that in mind, I mean, at the moment, uh, I'm writing my second book. I finished and published my first. Mm. Uh, I've got a rock band that I sing and play guitar in. Um, yeah, I've got I'm a professional photographer and videographer. I shoot uh, you know different kinds of events and actors' headshots and portrait work and things like that. And um, in addition to that, I'm, I'm restoring an old hot rod that uh, takes up a lot of my time too. So really, I, there's a lot of stuff going on in my world. But each and every one of those things that's going on in there is, um, thankfully, I'm very fortunate to have this ability to do that. It's something that I enjoy uh, without end. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if I may ask, what's what's the model that uh, of hot rod that you're restoring? I have a 1955 Chevy that my father bought secondhand in 1957, and it, um, he used it. I, I used it a bit when I was in high school, and then um, he let it sit derelict for 25 or 30 years. So a lot of rust and force had to be cut out and rewelded. And uh, my son and I have done most of the work ourselves, and we're within spinning distance of putting this on the road and driving around. So I'm, I'm very thankful that we've gotten this far with it. Now, you, you know, it, uh, there's probably a lot of joy in, in sort of the building of it and whatnot, but then there's also a lot of fun in having the toy and being able to being able to kind of play with it, so to speak, and to turn some heads along the way and maybe give some people some fun rides in it as well. Oh yeah, no question about it. And, but there's the other part of it, which is developing a new vulgar language uh, because you're working on a 70 year old car that won't cooperate. So a lot of times you're, <laughs> You're laying on your back or, you know, with magical words coming out of your mouth and it just, sometimes it goes that way, but, uh, it's all a labor of love and, and, and it's just like anything in life. The effort you put into it is, is what you will get out of it. And, uh, you know, that applies to cars or music or cooking or anything you're going to do it. it everything you do really revolves around the effort that you put into it. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, well, let, let's learn just a little bit more about your backstory. What's something that people might be surprised to learn about you? Well, anybody that knows me probably won't be surprised about much. There's really not many secrets in my life. <laughs> um, but, you know, the um, the obvious or maybe the lack of being obvious is that I have a lot of things going on. and But I I care deeply about all those things I have going on and the people in my world, too, which, you know, it, it's I'm 55 years old now, right? So mm. my kids, what my daughter recently got engaged. Um, my son's in his mid twenties, and um, and and I I never really thought when I got to this point in my life that that my life would be where it is, and and you know there's bad sides to it and good sides to it, but I, I never envisioned it like this, and and the way it has evolved to where it is now is is this wonderful thing where I'm surrounded by these wonderful people that uh, are both my creation and, and, and come from the outside family too. And I, I couldn't, I, I feel like I'm the most fortunate person on the face of the earth. Uh, that's amazing. So if we, re- we rewind the clock to before you were Hollywood, um, cause w- what age were you when you picked up that nickname? Oh, that's an interesting story. I, my wife and I, Nadia moved to California back in the mid uh, no, I'm sorry, the early 90s. I think we got there in 91 or 92. And our, our first real apartment was in Hollywood, right? So we were living this lifestyle. We we, were, we lived in this apartment building. that was a lot like Melrose Place. You know, uh, myself and the other tenants, we all knew each other. We'd go to parties together. Um, and the couple upstairs got married and we went to their wedding. It was on a beach. Um, a saxophone <laughs> player that was uh, playing in the band that was doing uh, Chevy, Chose, Chevy Chase's talk show was at the wedding on the beach. He's playing sax at sunset. I mean, it was just all this really cool stuff going on. So we were living that lifestyle. Mm. And then, um, when our son began to come along, because he was going to be our second child, we decided it would probably be the best thing to move back to New Jersey because that's where all our family is. You know, we didn't mm. really people out there that we you know were connected to as opposed to out here where everybody was out here um so when we moved back i took a job at a car dealership in Paramus, uh old ceramic pontiac and um the fellow that i was working for nicknamed me hollywood because i had at the time i mean it wasn't wearing this i had actual hair back then i was very young you know and uh <laughs> and i had this and uh, and he nicknamed me hollywood and it just stuck and him and i remain friends to this day we still work together occasionally doing various projects and i do some video stuff for him so it's you know he shouts me out from across the room be like hollywood and 
and that's it's just how it goes in my world. <laughs> that, that, that stuck. All right. So, uh, but prior prior to that, so you, you grew up in in New Jersey, which is kind of like uh, stuck stuck underneath um, New York there, and, and in the big shadow of it there. But uh, what? Yeah, yeah. What, what, what was life like growing up there? Like, what, what do people think about New Jersey? And maybe what's something you'd like them to know about it that they they might uh, that might be a misconception. Well, New Jersey. Is, huh, I'll tell you the things I don't like about New Jersey because that's the most evident in my head is that it's in the summertime, it's hot and it's humid and in the wintertime it's cold and it's slushy and it's miserable. But there's a lot of really cool things here too. Like there's a lot of people in New Jersey who play guitar and play in rock bands. And that has been a staple of my life since I was like 13, 14, 15 years old. And I've had this, um, the fortune to run into people that have been fantastic players, not just, you know, guys getting by doing it, but I've, I've always managed to run into people that were just very, very good at what they've done. And I've learned so much from them over the course of time that one of the greatest gifts, I think, is being here, or at least in Bergen County, northern New Jersey, near New York City. A lot of very talented people that are out there doing that and other creative things as well. And I'll tell you something else about New Jersey, too. Most people, well, everybody thinks New York's got the greatest food, blah, blah, blah. And New York's got great food. But New Jersey? Mm -hmm. New Jersey has the greatest food. You can go to any corner deli in New Jersey. You can pull over the side of the road. You'd be starving. It's like, I don't know where to go. Oh, look, there's a deli. And you pull over to a deli and you go in there and get a sandwich. Pretty safe bet. It's going to be a banging sandwich. Right, right. Okay. That's awesome. And it's funny to think, you know, a slushy in the winter. I mean, it sounds, it sounds kind of like uh, a coastal city that it's what I expect slushy in the winter and then, you know, humid in the summer and maybe some, maybe some uh, bad mosquitoes and things of, like that. So. A lot of mosquitoes. Uh, is it like it's nicknamed the swamp, isn't it, or, or uh, yeah, some some, but, some reference to a swamp? Well, I, I know Springsteen's got a you know it refers to the you know the swamps of Jersey, you know down south, and my mom's down at Lakewood, and um, that's pretty much generally the area that Springsteen's referring to. I think when he's talking about it, and there's plenty of them down there. And I'll tell you what, when you get down there, them swamps, there's plenty of mosquitoes too. You got to be careful; they're like really big too. They'll grab you and they'll fly away with you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so before you were Hollywood, uh, you know, what, what did you do? How did you spend your time growing up? Um, I grew up. Uh, my father. Uh, this goes back to restoring the car. My father, uh, early in my life, owned a couple gas stations, and he was the head mechanic there, and and he was just grinding it out, and he made a pretty good living doing it, but he was working himself to the bone. And um, eventually my mom convinced him to go back to school. He went to college. He got an engineering degree and he wound up working for IBM and spent, you know, the second half of his life working for IBM and had a wonderful career with them. But being a part of that family where I, I grew up around a guy that knows every in and out nut and bolt on an automobile and basically passed that on down to me. And then later on was an engineering student and became very, very good at what he did. It, it gave me the opportunity to, I've always been around, you know, cars, fast motorcycles, you know, music. Uh, he was a, he turned me on to music when I was very young. He had like eight tracks in his car when I was young, you know, and, uh, but it was always the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and Pink Floyd and all this really cool seventies kind of stuff that, you know, I, I don't listen to a lot of it today, but it molded me and, and set me on a direction for doing lots of things like writing music, writing songs and, and telling stories and, and, and saying things in interesting ways. And, and then looking at life differently too. I, I look at life through a prism of um, the, uh, you know, my musical background and my mechanical background and, and everything I do has some sort of is, is touched in some way by those things, because those are the things I enjoy. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, it's funny, you mentioned you're, you do uh, like videography and photography and you do these things for actors. And when we think about actors, we don't usually, New Jersey isn't usually the first uh, name that kind of comes to mind. We might think of uh, either Hollywood or yeah. maybe, maybe New York and Broadway. Those are probably the two most common, uh, but this is something that you do um, in, in New Jersey. And what, what sort of, what sort of demand is there for this kind of practice? You know, actors, headshots, there's, most people don't realize there's a lot of actors in New Jersey and a lot more in New York. I mean, my whole living isn't based around doing actors, headshots, but I do plenty of them. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, I had this back in, I don't know, mid-2000s, 06, 07, something like that. I got it in me. I said, I want to be an actor. I want to try this. So okay. I went to an acting school not far from me in Bloomfield called New Jersey uh, School of Dramatic Arts. And um, I went through their program and I got a couple really, you know, not great gigs out of it, but I got some decent gigs out of it. I won a, a number of auditions. I um, I learned how to do the craft on a, you know, obviously a lower level. But in the process of doing that, I met a lot of interesting people too. And I still kind of run in those circles to this day. So it's, um, again, it all has to do with the path you take in life and, and where your road takes you. And, and that's one of the roads that doing the things I do is taking me down. And again, I'm really fortunate to know these people. Yeah. So somewhere, somewhere along the way, um, you, uh, you lost your best friend and decided to, to write a story about that. Well, tell me a little bit about your friend and the friendship you had prior to this happening. Oh, I mean, you know, you have people in your life that are there for long term and, and, and Alan was one of those guys that he had been in my life for so long. I never really pictured my life without him. I, I, I met him in the fifth grade his mom was my math teacher. I knew him through, you know, that end of school up through middle school and, and, and through high school and all that. And we had just had this great relationship. All of our friends were interconnected. I mean, I still talk to some of the people I've talked to in high school, uh, you know, to this day. And, and we still talk about him a lot because he was a, he was one of those people that you meet in life that you have no idea how he does it, but he is absolutely friends with every single person he met. And from, from jump street, he could, we, we could go to a party where we knew nobody, and he would walk in a room and he would talk to everybody like he'd known them forever. And he would just, <laughs> and I look back at all and look at this. I'm like, how does he do that? Just and, a natural charisma and, and, and curiosity and desire to, and genuine interest in human, human beings. Exactly. And that was this whole thing because he had very strong views, both political and, and, and life views and like that. And, um, and he wouldn't waver from those views. But what was cool about Alan is he, he, he always respected what your views were like I could have these knockdown drag out fights with him and disagree with him, you know, really getting down deep into the weeds. But, you know, this would be happening on his porch while drinking a yingling. And, uh, you know, that's just what we would do. It was, uh, he was, <laughs> he was just, a, he wasn't, I don't want to make him out like he wasn't flawed. He was, he was flawed just like we all are. Yeah. Yeah. Alan had some serious flaws, <clears throat> but on the inside, he was, uh, he was probably one of the most interesting people I ever met in, and when I um, when I had to say goodbye to him, it was a a part of me was saying goodbye to me too because he, he knew a a side of me that really nobody else did, and and that was I think that was just as hard as saying goodbye to him. You know, and that, I think that's actually a really remarkable insight that when we lose somebody close to us that um, has had that kind of impact on our life. We, we lose a part of ourselves in that way. Isn't that both the beauty and tragedy of, of being human? Um, how long ago was it that he passed? Uh, he left us in October of 2019, so just before the pandemic. And, and that's how this whole book story kind of 
came about. I mean, my father knew him too. So mm. there was an accident and he, he fell off a roof and, um, but he, he didn't die instantly. He, he was mortally wounded, but he would linger for some days. And, um, so while he was in the hospital in intensive care, I was going to see him, you know, like every other day or so. And, and it was, it was interesting because many of the people that we knew collectively, you know, were reaching out to me for guidance. Hey, what's going on? You know, what's the story here? And, and most of it, I really didn't know. I, I would show up at the hospital and every day would blend into the next. And it, it just, there wasn't really anything positive happening, but my father knew him too. And at some point my father came with me to the hospital because he needed to, you know, see Alan and see what was going on. Cause he knew him just as long as I did, because we would come home together and my right, father, right. you know, he was the, my father was the responsible adult. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you remember the last conversation and interaction you had with him prior to the accident? Oh yeah. Like it was yesterday. He, um, his, his family owns a couple houses in a town up North of here. And, um, they, you know, some of them are rentals and some of them they live in and, and, Usually, like every ten years or so, they paint them all. And uh, Alan was the guy that was in charge of getting it all done. And uh, he had some painters set up, and uh, you know they were going from house to house painting him. And the, the day that he fell, um, he was you know <laughs> he was sending me pictures about this one house they had. His father picked out this color. It was it was just it was unbelievable because it was so funny to me because his father picked out this color, but it was like the like that fluorescent yellowish green that's like the color of like a DPW vest or something, you know? Yeah, and, I'm thinking of like bile or something when you vomit. <laughs> we were having this back and forth texting, you know, marathon about, you know, what this color was. And it was just, and that was much of what him and I would do. We have this banter about, we would just crack jokes on stuff to death until there was nothing left in it. And, um, <laughs> and that's what was going on. And then I sent him a text and I never got one back. And, and that would happen with him sometimes, you know, because he would get tied up in something. But the very next morning, his mother sent me a text from his phone and, and told me what would happen. And, and that's how that all went down. And did he live in the same town as you or like? No, that's another weird story. He, um, he, him and I grew up in a, one town apart, but his mom was a teacher for the town that I grew up in. So as such, you know our school system was one of the best in New Jersey. So because she was, uh, you know, an employee of the school, they let her bring her, her son to that school. And that's how I met him. If, if she wasn't a teacher there, I never would have met him. Hmm. He was a town over and it. I mean, maybe I would have met him in later life, but I certainly would have met him. Wouldn't have met him in the fifth grade. And, yeah. and that started, you know? Yeah. So, and you were able to enjoy, uh, I guess 40, 40 plus years of friendship with him. Yeah. And yeah. then, uh, you know, not all of it was perfect, but like I, sometimes I'm driving down the road and cause he had these little things that he would say that only he could get away with, you know? And sometimes I, would, something would just pop up and I, you know, I would say, Oh, I wonder what Alan would say about that. And what he would say would come into my head and it would just, it just cracks me up. Sometimes I'm just driving down the road. I laugh to myself because there's only one guy that would say that, and there's only one guy that would think it. Because right, right, and 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 you know, I think with those those kind of thoughts, and we say this, he could get away with it, uh, which means he's probably saying something somewhat controversial. However, those who would know him and know his heart and know the kind of person he is and the heart he had for people and connecting, would realize that it, it's coming from sort of a, a a jovial place in life. Oh yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. A, a mutual friend of mine and his today. That, you know, we both knew in high school and all that. In fact, she she must have been going through some things of his 
not his, um, hers, but she found a couple old photographs from high school, like various parties and, uh, you know, and pictures of him. She sent them to me on Facebook messenger today. And it was kind of like a, like, Oh yeah, I remember that guy. And it was just a cool thing to see. And I, I really appreciate her doing that for me. You know, there's something that comes to mind here. Very often when we lose somebody, somebody close to us and we're, we're going through grief and whatnot, uh, people are afraid to, to talk about it. But I, I recall someone saying something that really touched me and it was like, don't be afraid to talk about uh, this person because that's the way that we keep them alive. Sure. And, it, you know, uh, it's um, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned keeping them alive because I, I, I took some liberties. I mean, this book, I, this book is, is something that was really, um, it was a, a way of me kind of telling the story, not really to everybody else. I, I was really telling it to myself because it started, I just, I wanted to write one paragraph just to tell myself how I was feeling. So I could look at it, see what the words were and, and see how that, you know, would affect me in a way that I could maybe better understand. Cause I was having a hard time with it, but, um, that went on the two paragraphs and that turned into a chapter and then that turned into a second chapter. And this thing kind of took on a life of its own, basically me telling the story to myself, you know, in the abstract, some of it's fiction, mind you, but, but the story is all there um, about what it meant. And then, you know, you just mentioned, you know, life and all that. My second book, I, I brought him back in my second book as a supporting character, just because I kind of wanted to have him around. <laughs> which, which is awesome. Did you ever, like growing up, did you ever think one day I'm going to write a book? No. And I can't tell you how thankful I am that he gave me that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that, that's quite something, you know. I, I think we we often look back on our life, you know. I'm, I'm I just ticked over forty, and maybe that's a contemplative like time of life when I'm like, okay, maybe I'm halfway there, you know. Uh, I didn't imagine this is where I'd be, but I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for the world, oh. you know. I, I've got this beautiful little boy, an amazing wife, you know, and but boy, it's been a bumpy road bumpy road to get here. So if we, if we go back to, you know, you get the text that, uh, Alan's been in an accident. What, what kind of runs through your head when you get that text? You know, cause I've known him for so long. I, I didn't think it was as severe as it was. I was thinking, man, cause if you knew him, he was missing a couple fingers on one of his hands because he put him in a shoot of a lawnmower and, and the rest is history. And, and those, it's just, that was Alan in, in a weird kind of way, you know? I mean, I'd sometimes be out with him and we'd be, you know, putting gas in gas cans. I'd have two five-gallon gas cans at a, at a gas station putting gas in them, and he's sitting there with a lighted cigarette in his mouth with a gas pump and a thing going, Whoo! and, you know, of course I'd be, what are you doing? But it, it's just, that's who he was. And it, so when she said he had an accident, I was thinking, oh, maybe broken arm or, you know, he fell or, or whatever the case was, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, I, I really didn't appreciate the severity of it until I went to see him. And then, um, then it was a really, it was a serious bummer for me. Yeah. So, you know, you go to the hospital, you're not quite sure what you, you know, but you're expecting to see someone who's like injured, but you're going to be able to communicate with, was he conscious or awake at this point or was he, he was in an induced coma? No, nah, he, he never regained consciousness. It was, um. I mean, I, I detail it. I, I go over the description of it more in detail in the book. I, I don't really want to get too deep into the weeds with it here, mm-hmm. but um, you know, it was pretty obvious to me when I saw him immediately that he had some very serious challenges ahead of him, and, and it, it none of it looked good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and 
you know, kind of thinking about what's what's going through your head at that time, and you think that that last text message conversation might be the last one. Did that run through your head at that time? Yeah, it did, and um, it was. Um, there was so many things running through my head at that time because it was he was one of those guys and one of those people that are in your life that they're in there all the time, and it, you know, like for me, I just never expected to at some point not have him around, you know, uh, it was like, cause he was one of these guys, man, he would piss me off. Sometimes at like four 30 in the morning, I'd get texted on my phone <laughs> Yeah, and I look and it'd be some goofy Mimi center me or something like that. And I'm sitting there thinking, I was like, Oh man, come on. It's four 30 in the morning, buddy. What are you doing to me here? You know, but uh, I'd give anything for one of those texts right now. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that just speaks to the impact he's had in your life. And so, um, as kind of the days are, are, you know, he's in the hospital, the days are sort of passing and you're kind of aware of what's basically what's coming and it's only maybe a matter of time. How did you pass those days? Um, I was in a daze, you know, I, I, it got more, um, as I kept going to the hospital, it got more, um, habitual. Um, you know, I was just going there, you know, just to check in, you know, the first day or two, you know, I, I, I saw what I saw, but I had hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after a few days of doing that, it, it really, it, it started to become evident that there probably wasn't going to be a good resolution to this. And, and eventually the parents came to that, his parents came to that same conclusion and they stopped the charade, you know, mm-hmm. it, was, um, it just had to end at some point and, and they did. And I'm sure they were devastated by that. And I, I just, I wish it was different, but it, it wasn't. And it was what it was. And, and when it all came crashing down here, here's, I don't know if I want to get too far into this, but, but this, but I'll, I'll start by saying this. The last time I saw him physically was the day that he passed. And it was this weird set of circumstances. I took my dad to the hospital with me and, um, and they had him in intensive care. So there's like these, these curtains that kind of close the room for privacy, but they can fling them open in a second, you know, mm-hmm. uh, there was a nurse in there and I heard her wrapping up with his parents, just t- kind of casually. There was like no rush or anything like that. So, when she came out, she opened the curtains and I saw him and they had him up in the bed. Like they, they brought the bed up. So almost mm-hmm. like he talked to somebody or, something, or watch TV or whatever. And, um, and I walked in and the, um, none of the equipment was on him anymore. You know, the heart monitor, you know, none of the, the feeding tube, none, none of that stuff was on him anymore. And, uh, at first I thought, hey, this is horrible. At first I was like, Oh my God, he's up, he's awake. And then, um, the more I looked at him, the more I realized that wasn't the case. He, he wasn't breathing. His his skin looked colorless, like mm-hmm, all the mm-hmm. body, and and he was gone. And that was yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And then you know you're kind of in a tough spot at that time because now now it's real, it's final, and any last shred of hope is is now gone. And now begins the process of grieving. You know, when you went home that day, how did that go for you? What did you find yourself doing? Uh, I was angry. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was rough. Yeah. And, you know, and, and man, I, I, I feel that I can just, you know, just imagine. So you're, you know, kind of angry at the world, angry at, you know, just the, the fact that, that you'd had this person that was so, this meant so much to you was just kind of ripped away from you, uh, kind of unexpectedly. And, and you didn't, you know, cause I think about anger very often is like this, almost like a protective emotion that it was like maybe trying to protect from, from the pain that you were feeling. Well, you know what it is with him is that he was really the last guy that knew that other side of me. I mean, I I wasn't a perfect kid growing up. I got into a lot of trouble, 
You know, I was um, at a, at a rough childhood. You know, I, I I came from parents that loved me, but I just I did my own thing. You know, I I worked on cars. I, I ran with bad kids because they were fun. You know, it's not like we were thieves <laughs> or anything like that, but. You know, I'd race around in my hot rods and get tickets and get pulled over and, you know, spend a night in jail here and there. And it's just, it's just what happened. It, you know, we weren't felons or murderers or anything, but, you know, we like to have a good time. Sometimes we took it too far, you know, but yeah, yeah. he was one of the last people that knew that side of me. You know, when I, when I met my would be wife at that point, there was a turning point in my life where I began to at least you know, head towards being a civilized human being. <laughs> Take life somewhere. That, that led that way. But up to there, nobody really knows me in that realm except for him. And then when he was gone, that's that's a big part of where my anger was. Because I, sometimes I like to look back at that kid and and see, you know, who he was. And, and Alan would remind me who that kid was. Sometimes I'd, I'd be sitting there you know, on his porch drinking a yingling with him and you know, crying about how my life is terrible. And I, you know, oh, I want more money or I want, you know, this job or that job or whatever it is I'm complaining about. And he would set me down and he would, he would set me straight and, and he would remind me of where I came from. <laughs> right, right. Came from Billy. You know, it's, look where you are. And, and he was that kind of equalizer for me that I, I don't have any more for, for that segment of my life. You know, there's, there's yeah. other things in my life. I don't mean to short that. It's just that that's that one little section that I'm, I'm never going to get back. And I, I, that's a lot of that anger was directed at that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I want to maybe just take a little bit of a sidetrack here. You mentioned your wife, Nadia, and um, how, how did you meet her? <laughs> My other friend, Tommy, who I've known for almost as long as Alan, he and I were being ridiculous. We were going down to a party at my cousin's house in, in South Jersey, down the shore. And uh, we're, we're driving this old beat up car down there. And, and we saw this other car with these two, cute girls in it and some other guy in the back seat and uh you know we we're just kind of flirting driving down the parkway and there's this thing for a while like on the parkway <laughs> you know, see somebody cute you pay their toll for them and I, I just thought it was kind of you know a cute thing to do or whatever anyway i don't know if that worked out pound for pound but we wound up following them to where they were going and they were going to a, a place down south jersey called seaside heights so we followed them down there and, and the flirting was kind of cool up until i think that we followed him down the seaside. Cause then they were looking at us like, all right, what's up with these guys? You know, you now, not, now, we're, yeah. now, now we're stalkers, you know? Yeah, so yeah. We tried to chat with him a little bit and Tommy and I weren't going down the seaside. We weren't going to burn a lot of time trying to meet people that weren't really interested in meeting us. And we got the vibe, you know? And, uh, but I said, you know what? I, I, I think that girl's really cute. And I, I liked her even for the two seconds I talked to her. I'm like, I'm going to leave my phone number on her car. So I left my phone number under a windshield wiper, right? On this like bag that was laying on the pavement or something, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. And a week or so later, she called me. Wow. And that's how I met my wife. <laughs> that's that's uh, quite something. So a phone number left under a windshield wiper on a car. Yeah. And uh, and for some reason, she decided to call. And this is pre-cell phone, mind oh, you. Yeah, this is like dial it up in your house. Hello. So, did you ever ask her like how many times she called before? Because maybe she called and you weren't there, or did did you have an answering machine? Or well, no, it was weird. I, I was I was out of high school, but barely. I was staying with my grandmother in a town far from where I grew up. This is out Mars County, and uh, but I left 
my grandmother's phone over there and, and she called one night. My grandmother comes to me and she's like, she's like, Oh, this is a telephone call for you. And like, I really didn't talk to too many people. Like one of my friends would call, but they'd only call like if there was a party going on that weekend or something like that, you know, whatever. And, uh, so I started talking to her on the phone and we couldn't stop talking. We, we talked like every night for, you know, until we met up again. And then after that, it was just, we had this connection that, um, it was just, it was deep and it was almost immediate and it was, it was wonderful. And I, I'm so glad. And another twist of fate that happened in my life that I totally don't deserve. Yeah. yeah. And here with me to this day and I love her so much. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. So I'm curious when you, when you're, you know, you're, so you're flirting with her and I was trying to get the picture, right? Like you and your buddy, Tommy are in one car. Was she driving the other car with like herself and some guy and another girl or yeah, well, she was with um, she was driving, and she was yeah. with her Robin, who was with this other guy, and I can't remember that guy's name because he disappeared shortly after that. But um, her and her friend Robin were longtime friends, and they were going down just to you know spend a day down at the beach and kind of goof around at the boardwalk and stuff like that. And they never expected to you know meet us, and I'm kind of glad they did. So here we are. <laughs> right. So it's the first time that she calls you. I mean, she doesn't know who, exactly who she's calling, <laughs> you no. know, you had a bit of a, bit of a funny little flirt, you know, uh, in the car and whatnot. What, what did she say? You know, I, we talked about everything and that was what was so cool because it got into conversation. You're like, you know, hi, I'm, I'm Nadia. Hi, I'm Billy. You know, Hey, how you doing? Oh yeah. I got your number off your car. Blah, blah, blah. Hey, what's going on? You know? where are you guys from? Uh, you know, what do you do? You know, where do you go to school? And, and just these all small talkeries, you know, Mm-mm. until it got into things that we liked. And then next thing I know, we're, we're talking about, we like the same kind of music and, uh, you know, we like the same kind of films and, you know, what do you do for fun? And, and it's a lot of the things just kind of clicked. It was just start checking off boxes. Like, okay, that's cool. Okay. That's cool. Okay. That's cool. That's good. And then, um, I think it was, not long after that, a few weeks or so after that, I was having a Memorial Day party, and mm. I invited her to the Memorial Day party. And the Memorial Day party, we hung out. And it was the first time we kissed, and, and it's been game <laughs> yeah. on. So. Right, right. So, um, you know, you you would have called her up. Did you have like, you know, I'm trying to think because like when I started um, communicating with my my wife. We had we had the the benefit of the internet. It wasn't great, but we had it. We had a functioning version of the internet yeah. that kid, kids these days, you know, <laughs> they would have no appreciation for. But anyway, so we had a functioning version of the uh, of the internet where we could kind of communicate and uh, we could email and uh, we used MSN Messenger, so you could kind of message back yeah. and forth and you know. But back then, did you have to like? arrange like hey i'm gonna call you at this time and then if that's the case then you got to be sitting by the phone in case it rings like what what was that like there was some of that you know but there was some of you know i told her where i worked and i was working at a gas station which was right off the highway so it was it wasn't terribly hard to get to you know she lived in a town in new jersey called hasbrook heights and she was right near route 80 and if you got on route 80 and drove for about a half an hour you could get off at the right exit and the gas station i was working at was right there so okay. sometimes she would, you know, stop by the gas station and then, you know, we'd have a little chat and, you know, a couple of kisses in the park a lot or something. <laughs> and uh, it was cool. And that's kind of how we would communicate either by the telephone or sometimes she would stop by after work or something, or like on a Friday night, come up, we'd go out or something. And it just, it began this relationship where we just spent more and more time with each other until it got into the point where we we're just, we, we couldn't spend enough time with each other. 
Yeah, yeah, which is absolutely amazing. I, I mean, I, I love that. It's a beautiful story. What What was she attracted to about you? What did she tell you that she was like, this is why I wanted, you know? I think she was attracted to the fact that, well, I mean, I, I'm old and worn out now, but at the time I was a pretty good looking dude and uh, had good hair, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I played in a rock band. I played guitar and I sang songs, you know? So there was uh, some of that going on. Um, she liked that, you know, a confident guy, knows about cars, you know, gentle with a woman, uh, yeah. you know, respectful, um, sings, writes songs, plays in a rock band. I mean, what else are you looking for when you're 21? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How long did you date before you ended up getting married? Well, we we started dating in 86 and then we got married in 91. So that's five years-ish. Okay. Yeah, yeah. How, how, how did you propose to her? Uh, it was kind of like one of those things where I just, uh, I, I was at a point where I, I just didn't want to let her get away. And I, I bought a ring and brought it home and we were both living together in the apartment at the time. And, uh, I was out in the hallway and I just asked her, I said, look, I got this ring and I, I want you to marry me. And I don't know, what do you think of this idea? And, and she said, yes, right away. She was like, of course, this is, <laughs> you know, so it was, it was pretty cool. It was so the, this is the natural progression of the relationship. It was wonderful. It was, um, I, I, I couldn't believe she said yes. You know, it was, um, because I, I, there's so many things in my life, John, I, I can't tell you, I don't deserve any of them. I'm just a guy. I'm just some guy that just bounces around. And somehow I wind up in these situations where I don't deserve to be there, but yet I am there and I'm, I'm around these wonderful people. And you know, it's, it's just, it's a blessing. It's, uh, this life doesn't owe me anything. It really doesn't. If this life ended for me tomorrow, I'd be the one that owes it something. Yeah, yeah, that's you know that's a great way to look at it. And um, you know, you had you had a couple of kids together, and you know now they're older. You said you you know your daughter's engaged, your son's in his mid twenties and whatnot. Uh, obviously, your wife would have known uh, your friend Alan as well. Oh, she's known Alan since she started dating me. Yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> she just went, I mean, Alan and her were friends, but yeah, obviously, you know, she wasn't friends with Alan like I. <laughs> Sure, of course. Because Alan has this way of, at some point, there's too much of Alan, and yeah. uh, and and people that don't know him or, or or aren't connected to him the way I was connected to him, you know, may have that. And uh, not to say that's a that's a bad thing, because at some point there was too much Alan. He be sometimes, but I, I loved him so much I I could put up with him, you know. But uh, right, right, yeah. But they had a warm, wonderful relationship. You know, Nadi was terribly saddened when, when Al passed away. And it was just one of those things even for her too, is one of the first friends of mine that she had met when she started dating me. So, you know, we, we all ran in these circles back mm-hmm. then. We, we all had like friends that like her group of friends met my group of friends and all of a sudden her group of friends were hanging out with my group of friends. So this kind of just kept, you know, mixing up and mixing up until we had this larger group of friends. It was and you know when he passed, obviously she was she was saddened by that terribly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, how did you know? How did you support each other in the grieving process as you were kind of going through that? Well, you know, she knew I was having a hard time with it, but she also knew that you know, my life wasn't just going to stop on a dime, and and you know the world wasn't going to let me brood over this. You know, I had to get up every day and go to work and do the things I had to do. And this was at a weird time too, because it was just before the pandemic. I, I didn't start writing the book until we got into the pandemic and then it became more of an obsession for me to just kind of grind it out. And thankfully I had the time to do that during that period. I was off, you know, I wasn't really doing much of anything for a 
couple months probably. And that was the time that gave me a, a really good head start on this. And by the time uh, things started to get back to normal, I was well on my way with it. And, and the end was in sight. Yeah. And so you started writing the book, uh, The Ashes. That's true. Yeah. The, the 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 motivation behind it obviously was the loss of my friend but it was also like i was saying earlier is a, a big part of it was a loss of um, a piece of me that mm-hmm. I'm never back it's a, it's a, it's a side of me that i could discuss with him and you know we could laugh and joke about it and same thing with him too you know but nobody else really knew that side and mm-hmm. something that now that that side of me is gone no one else will ever know it, it it's just it's out there with the molecules. Right, right. But it's been, it's, some of it has been preserved in, in the writing of this book. How, how did you find going through the process of writing it? I wonder if there were some days where it was just really, really emotional trying to write it, and other days, you know, you felt inspired. What was that like? Well, some days I was bawling my eyes out. It was, yeah. Some of it was terrible. But I had it in my head. I, 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 I can't be more clear about this. That book practically wrote itself. It, it just went from one thing to the other. And, and the reason that is, is because it's, it's, it's part nonfiction and part fiction. I kind of interweave the two things together. Both sides of it tell the story. The nonfiction side tells the story of, you know, him and his demise, as well as the fictional side. But it's, um, it's when I started to interweave those two things together is really where it started to take a, a path for me. And once I got on that path, I kind of knew where I was going to go with it. I mean, I didn't know exactly how it was going to end, but I, I knew that at some point I, I at least knew where I was um, navigating towards. Mm-hmm. And uh, what did your wife think when you told her you were going to write a book? I didn't tell her I was going to write it. I just started doing it. And then when I finished it, I mean, she knew it was going on. And uh, But when I finished it, this was the thing that gave me some sort of validity because Nadia is one of these people where – if I wrote something and let her read it and she felt it was like kind of whole hum, she'd be like, eh, well, it's all right. And, you know, much to my, uh, you know, chagrin, ego, the blow that I would take, I, I'd have to eat it and smile. You know? <laughs> that's not the way it went. I, I let her read it. She came back to me. Like, Baby, she's like, I couldn't put it down. She's like, that was really, really cool. And um, I wasn't going to publish it up to then. I just, I just wrote it something for me to kind of explain what in the hell was going on in my world? And um, and when she said that to me, I said, you know what? I'm going to grind this out. I'm going to proofread it. I'm going to get rid of all the you know grammatical errors. And, and I'm going to publish this thing. And that's exactly what I did. Yeah. Have you got a copy of the book with you? I do. It's uh, That's the front cover. Yeah. For for those that are watching, for those that are listening on the podcast version of this, he, he's holding that's, up. <laughs> that's it's, it's a, right there. That looks like an old car there. What's the, what's the car on the cover there? That was my old 68 Chevelle. And okay. I used to take that down the shore or anywhere for that matter. And um, yeah, just rip around and burn the tires off of it and be ridiculous. We used to go on these camping trips. That's me on the back too. A little yeah, yeah. plug there. But um, we, we used to go down to Forked River and uh, and camp there on like large weekends, like uh, Memorial Day weekend or um, like Labor Day weekend, things like that. And uh, it would just be you know, a huge party down there. Um, and that's what we do. We'd go down there, we'd camp, we'd stay the whole weekend. We'd bring the cars down there. We'd race around and it was just some of the best times of life. And, um, I mean, you can't do that stuff now. There's all sorts of rules and regulations. <laughs> there. Back then pretty much anything goes. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
well, what's uh, so what's next for Hollywood? Uh, my new book is on the horizon. I have it. Uh, I, I want to say I'm probably about halfway through with it. Um, it's a story that's not really related to this book at all, but I took the liberty of bringing Alan back in it because I, I, I wanted to have him around in some capacity. And since I don't have him in the real world, I put him in the fictional one, and uh, and he's got a cool character. Basically, he plays himself, and um, and him and I are buds, and or not him and I, but the main character and him are buds, and I write it from a third person, and um, I'm having so much fun with it. I I I, I want to get finished with it at some point, but also I'm having so much fun with it that I'm not really quite ready to let it go just yet. <laughs> yeah, it's place and um, and it's on the way to doing that. And the story is about a bunch of high school kids who saved the world. Okay. Uh, but without giving too much of it away, yeah, Alan's in it. He's a great character in it. And there's some very diabolical people in it, too. Um, there's off-worlders uh, from another planet that try and take the world over. But they do it through, like, politics. Like, they're in the pockets of, like, United States senators. And there's all this other mayhem that goes on that's related to that. And some of these names you'll recognize. They're, they're you know, known – or maybe I don't use their names. They're, they're known uh, political quantities. And um, people, people can put two and two together is what you're saying. We'll be able to put two and two together and figure out, you know, who I'm leaning towards here and on both sides, you know, I'm not, I'm not picking a side on this thing. They're, they're both sides of it are pretty diabolical. So we're going after them all. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's three, three years on from the time of Alan's passing and, uh, you know, grief is, grief is quite the process. You went through the process of writing the book and I imagine that felt somewhat um, cathartic, What's the grief like for you these days? Um, I'm cool with it, you know, as far as living my life. I mean, I, I miss my friend. Mm-hmm. There's no question about it. I, I miss him terribly. And like I said, sometimes I'm driving down the road I, or I'll see something or I'll hear something. And I know he would have a very unique Alanism for that. And, <laughs> and it just pops into my head. I, sometimes I'm just laughing by myself. But writing the book for me was absolutely the best therapy that I could possibly possibly have because it did a couple of things one it it closed that chapter even though i didn't want that chapter closed it it helped me get it closed because it needed to be closed and uh, but also um by writing the book i took a very very strong gift away from that and i am incredibly thankful for him yeah for giving me that yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if, if he was, I mean, you know, you knew him better than probably almost anyone else in the world. And, you know, if he was seeing what you're doing, you know, today and whatnot, uh, what, what would he, what would he like to, you know, say, what do you imagine him saying? You know, he wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. He would pat me on the back. He would say something like, holy, this is great. Or he would, he would say something relative to the reality of it. You know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't sugarcoat it. If he didn't like it, he would say so. But pretty sure he would like it because he's the only way he wouldn't like something is that it that offended him and by offending the only way to offend alan was to really be an a-hole you know? right, right you could be anybody you want you know you could be gay straight democrat republican black white catholic jewish it did not matter to that guy he would he would take you in just like he would take in anybody else as far as his sphere goes but if you were an a-hole, he mm. really didn't want anything to do with you. And they come in all shapes and sizes, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
Well, Hollywood, it's been an absolute pleasure um, just sharing this conversation, reminiscing. I, you know, I just, I can feel sort of the, the just the love that you had for your friend and and kind of the journey that you've been on. You're you're a creative, you're a storyteller, and it's it's amazing that you get to to do this uh, kind of in your life now. If you were to if you were to offer just some words of wisdom, just a, a thought or a nugget that if people could take something away from this conversation, what would you like them to take away from it? Oh, it's real simple. Those people that are in your life that you see every day really care about those people that you love that you have not told that you love for a long time or at all um you need to say those words you need to you need to just acknowledge them or or just make a mental note that you know what this person is in my world i'm really grateful that they are here because the truth of it is tomorrow is not guaranteed you could mm. up tomorrow and it could be a whole different landscape out there and everything could change in the blink of an eye and you will not see it coming. And I'm not saying that it will, um, but I'm saying that if you go through your life and you tell these people that you love them and care for them and the people that you care for, acknowledge that and, and accept their love in return, um, you'll be a happier person for it. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for letting me say the words. Thank you so much for tuning in to Between the Before and After. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, or leave a review because that helps this podcast to reach and inspire more people. I love exploring the stories that take place between the before and after, the powerful experiences that shape who we become, and I love human potential. I love the possibilities that lie within us. So whatever you may be up against, I hope these stories inspire you because if you're still here, your story's not done yet. So keep moving forward. Anyone can come from any place of brokenness and destitution and build an amazing life.